Codependency is one of these words that can be used to shame people and to make them think that mistreatment is somehow their responsibility. But in truth, if we understand what codependency is really pointing to, we can actually find ourselves empowered to walk away from people who are taking advantage of us. That's today on The Truth and Our Trauma. Ever sit down to pray and end up thinking about what you need to buy at the store instead? No judgment. I've totally been there. And that's why I decided to create the Ignite Strategic Prayer Planner and Journal. Know what to pray, track your impact, and learn to hear God's voice for yourself. Ignite is more than just a journal. It's a journey. And it's available now on Amazon and at the link in the show notes. We're going to hold on to a hot potato today. (laughs) We are talking about codependency. And I don't want you to be scared of this word, codependency. Yes, it gets used to shame people. It gets used to try to make people think that their own mistreatment is somehow their fault. And it's not. I will get into that in a bit, but it is not the case. If we can get past all that, though, understanding what codependency is, how it's showing up in our lives— And where it comes from gives us tools, gives us information that then we can use to benefit ourselves, that we actually can use then to see our patterns and decide to go a different way. And you know I come at this compassionately because I've walked this journey myself. You know, I think one of the things that happens a lot of times is this concept gets described by people who have never experienced it. And so it can seem really detached and clinical, But I've been there, and I have seen what it is to be aware of a pattern and then get on the other side of it. And I want to share that journey with you. Where this started for me was several years after my divorce. I had been dating for a little while and kept finding myself in these repetitive patterns of dating a similar type of person. I had more than one experience in which I spent a lot of time with someone who was not totally sure about me. And I spent a lot of time sort of putting my life on hold, waiting to be chosen, only to be absolutely disappointed. At the time, I never would have said that these people were taking advantage of me. I never, ever saw anything that would point to that. Especially because when these situations would end— These people still wanted to be friends with me. They still wanted me in their lives, right? So I'm not looking at this as like a 100% rejection, but it's also not an acceptance. It's not a being chosen. And if this had happened once, fine. You know, I just kind of was off on my picker. But when it happens more than once, (laughs) you have to look at yourself. And in these situations, I started seeing a pattern. But I couldn't really put my finger on it. I knew that this had, this had something to do with me. This was pointing at my own behavior and my own choices, but I didn't know what or how. So at that time, I was actually seeing a therapist, and I was talking to her about these situations where now these people wanted to be friends with me, but I didn't really want that. I didn't want them calling anymore. I didn't want them texting anymore. I didn't really want them in my lives. And yet I felt, though, this loyalty because I'm a very loyal friend to make it work. 
And in talking to my therapist about this, she asked me the most profound question. She just asked me why. Why? (laughs) Why don't you tell this person to stop? Why do you feel like you have to be loyal to them? Why do you feel like you have to now carry this? And I was absolutely dumbfounded because it was a perfectly logical question. And yet I did not know the answer. What I did know was what my feelings were telling me. My feelings were telling me, you need to go answer this text. My feelings were telling me, you need to go meet this person. You need to spend time talking to them. They really need your help. And that if I didn't, or if I pushed back, or if I resisted, that anxiety would grow so strongly about now what is this person going to think about me, that I was being so driven to do things that I knew I didn't want to do. Or maybe I did want to do. I mean, let's be honest. I didn't really love the idea of like fully disconnecting. So perhaps, yeah, there was a, a desire to still be connected in there even on my part. But the point was, none of this was out of the enjoyment of the relationship or the situation. It was out of the fear and the anxiety of what would happen if I didn't. And maybe this doesn't describe your exact situation, but we do this in other ways. If you struggle with codependency or people-pleasing, you're probably resonating in some sense with that idea of needing to show up for someone or needing to perform in order to feel like you are a good person or you're doing the right thing or that you're valuable in that relationship. We do this when we need to drop everything to answer every text that comes in. And if we can't, then we feel badly about it. We start to feel anxious about it. And then when we finally circle back around, we start making all kinds of excuses and justifications so that we can soften the blow. We do this when there's someone in our lives who is behaving improperly, whether this is a significant other, a spouse, a family member, a child, whomever it is, that when they are chronically making poor choices or that they are irresponsible or hurtful or whatever the case is, that we are excusing that behavior that we're saying, oh, well, because of X, Y, Z, that's why they did this. And we can see where people are coming from, but yet we use it to explain away their behavior. We do this when we explain away red flags. We do this when even we actually might criticize that person and then turn around and do something for them to get them out of a situation. We do this when we have a real need, like in this situation, I had a need for space. I had a need to not be connected to these individuals, and yet I didn't want to speak up for myself. We do this when we don't speak up, don't share our needs because we don't want to be a burden. We don't want to look needy. We don't want to be a drag on other people. And so we just stuff it and we decide that we're going to take care of ourselves and everybody else. We do this when we go out of our way to do something for someone else, to show them our care and our appreciation. And then when they don't reciprocate or when they bail on us or they flake or whatever, that we act like it doesn't bother us, that we're totally okay, that we're easygoing and we're flexible and we want to just be agreeable so that things can be easy. When you've always related to people in this way, when it has been something that you have done over the course of your life, it seems like, no, this is just the way that you show love and care for people. It seems like this is, you know, I'm a a caring person and this is the way that I show people care. And yeah, I get hurt sometimes, but, you know, I, I don't want to be hardened. I don't want to be changed. 
But yet, on the other hand, we can't deny the fact that this produces a specific kind of result over and over and over. What it produces is relationships in your life that are one-sided. It produces situations that are unsafe, and it produces the likelihood that you're going to be taken advantage of by people who are manipulative. So if I look back, for example, on the trajectory of my life, yes, this was happening in adult romantic relationships. But if I really went back into the archives, this was happening even in elementary school. This was happening with girls who would stab me in the back and then I would feel like I needed to stay friends with them. So if we're wondering, why does this keep happening? Why do I keep feeling like I'm being taken advantage of? Why does it seem like no one is able to meet my needs? Why does it seem like I'm not able to have good, healthy friendships? You know, why does it seem like all of this drama is following me around? Why am I opened up to abusers and manipulators and people who don't actually care for me? And I want to say this gently. The reason is we're giving them the space to do it. Please hear my heart when I say this. Any abuse or mistreatment you have ever suffered at the hands of another person is not your fault. It's not. A person does not need to choose manipulation and abuse and coercion and harassment in order to relate to another person or in order to deal with their issues. That is their choice, 100%, not your fault. The issue for us comes in when we're dealing with things like codependency is when we see a person do something that is hurtful and then yet we feel like we have to give them another chance or we feel like we have to help them through it or we feel like we have to be the one to suffer and to bear bear the burden so that maybe one day they will see the light and chances are if this is a way of relating to people that you have had as a pattern in your life there's a reason why there's a great reason why. And what that is for you is going to be unique. But if we think about trauma in a family of origin or patterns of disrespect and mistreatment and harm in a family of origin, those are often places where we start learning, if I can be a good little girl or a good little boy, then I can make all of this go away. It often starts as a way of coping with someone else's sin against us. And then not understanding, though, what is truly safe for us in the long haul. What is going to allow for us to actually get out of these types of situations and to be in relationships and situations that are healthy for us? And that is why I say there is no shame around using this word codependency to identify our patterns. It's not a diagnosis. It does not mean that something is wrong with you in your brain. What it means is there is a pattern of relating that you have had to often learn how to, to take on in order to make it through in your younger years. And now, very likely, you're at a spot where it's not working for you anymore. And the reason it's not working for you anymore is God didn't design for our relationships to be this way. He didn't design for you to have to function in relationships this way. He wants so much more for your individual growth and flourishing that he wants to see you set free from this. And I can say that unequivocally because codependency is actually a product of the fall. If we want to look at what codependency actually is, from a psychological perspective, I found a great definition on Psych Central, and it said that it's a preoccupation or an overdependence on another person. 
This doesn't always mean what we think it means when we think about a person maybe who is super clingy or super needy or kind of has a victim mentality. It can include that, but it has other faces. And often this looks like a situation where someone is over caretaking and over emphasizing other people's emotions in the way that they relate to other people. It's when we primarily in a relationship worry about the way that they're going to think and feel about us, how that's going to reflect on our personal worth. And so then we are constantly making modifications and adaptations in order to avoid ourselves being devalued by the way that we're performing in a relationship. So knowing that this is the case, we actually also then can look at the Bible and see that this phenomenon is described there as well. When we look at the creation account, we can see not only how God originally intended for relationships to function, mutual relationships, but we can also see what happened after sin entered the picture. At the creation, Eve was taken from Adam. But she was not just a rib. She was not just this like piece that he wouldn't even know was missing. And, you know, just the, the hole was covered back up. The translation for that word that is often translated as rib really should be his side. That Eve was a whole side of Adam. And so they were meant to function in such a way that they had a need for one another. Mutual. Mutual giving, mutual receiving. And that term helpmate suitable, Christy McClellan was here on the podcast a couple of years ago, and she broke down for us that phrase, Ezra Conegdo, that it doesn't mean like a secretary. It doesn't mean a servant. It meant someone who was going to be walking side by side with you, but who would also be face to face with you. Someone that would oppose you from going your own way, that we need one another in our relationships to bolster ourselves and to walk alongside one another, but also people who are going to be confrontative and keep us from going down our own sinful path. So that was the intention. But as soon as Adam and Eve eat of the fruit and they have to deal with the consequences now of sin, God says to Eve in Genesis 3.16, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now, various commentators have different things to say about what that really means. I don't read that necessarily as God saying, well, here was my order and I'm taking it away from you. Now you blew it. What I see that as here was my design, my beautiful, good design. And this is how sin is going to wreck that now. As you walk out your life in the fallen world, now what had been designed to be this beautiful harmony is going to be corrupted. And you're going to experience now what it is to have a desire for this person and a longing and yet to have that go unmet. And if we continue on, one of the reasons it says that even is that Adam now has to toil for his food where he was able to just be in the garden and, you know, they could just enjoy the fruit. Now he's going to have to work and do hard labor. So ultimately what this kind of says to me is Adam is going to be worried about Adam and Eve is going to be worried about Adam. Now, as I'm describing this, I don't want you to get too caught up in the genders because this can happen, yes, in male-female relationships. It can happen in male-female relationships where the roles are swapped. And it can happen in relationships with people of the same gender. It can happen in friendships. It can happen in all sorts of different arenas. So we don't have to get hung up there. What we do want to see here, though, is the uh, significance now of unmet needs. And as I stated before, that's often what creates this sort of 
chasing in relationships after people who are not meeting our needs is because our needs were not met. And so it's sort of this recognition in our own selves of this is just the way that the world works. And it is. This is the product of the fall. This is the way that the world is working. But it was not God's good order and it was not his good plan. It was not God's plan for you to be gifted as a caring and thoughtful person, which you are, and for that to be taken advantage of and for your needs to be discarded and for you to feel like you had to not be a unique and separate person in order to get along in your relationships. And this is why understanding what codependency is, is so powerful because we have the ability to say, oh no, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do the fallen way of doing relationships. I don't. I want to go back to the garden. I want to see shalom in my life restored in my relationships. And I want to do this thing the way that God had designed it. And that means then expecting mutuality and reciprocity in our relationships. Now, I know I can say that. (laughs) And if you are in this mode of dealing with people pleasing and codependency, it's like, how do I do that? (laughs) And, you know, the first thing I want us to understand is the fact that, again, biblically, we just need to know that God says this is not good for us, right? That's a very empowering thing to have our creator, redeemer, lover of our souls tell us this is not safe for you. Okay, this one is for all my overthinkers out there. I used to be absolutely debilitated by intrusive thoughts. Everything from constant worry to just dread of the future, I couldn't make it stop. If you're there right now, I have developed a free downloadable guide to help you get your mind back. It's called Overthinking, Get Out of Your Head and On With Your Life. And you can download it for free right now at UncommonValor.co. When we are putting all of our eggs in someone else's basket, when we are evaluating our own worthiness and our own identity based on another person's opinion of us, this is called the fear of man. That's what the Bible calls this is the fear of man. Proverbs 29, 25 says, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Another translation says, fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. If you are caught in this pattern of codependency, you know that constantly looking to other people for validation or for approval is a dangerous trap. You are going to end up doing things that are not even in alignment with your values. You're going to end up in situations that are not safe for you. You're going to end up enduring treatment that is harmful to your soul, if not also your body. So the first place to get out of this is to understand that the counterpoint of this is trusting God. It's trusting what he says about us, trusting who he is and who we are to him. That when he says, you are my masterpiece, that you're my child, that we actually start to say, I need to receive that. Because if I feel like I have to perform for God, then I'm going to endure a whole lot of suffering uh, that I don't need to, that I'm not meant to. I'm going to endure mistreatment thinking it makes God pleased, but he's already pleased. So the first side of this is knowing I have to trust what God says about me and let that be the place that I move and act from. And I know that that is a whole lot of work in and of itself. There's a whole lot of stuff to unravel and undo, even to just get to the point where you can start to believe that more fully. 
But sometimes also, one of the ways that we get there is by recognizing our patterns and then choosing the opposite. That even if we can't yet fully believe and grab onto what God says about me, I can start to change the relationships around me in ways that will actually line me up to experience that truth. That if I am no longer seeking the approval of people, and yes, they are disappointed in me, I can actually run to the Lord and know his approval of me in that situation. Sometimes we have to take the steps first. Sometimes we have to be willing to act, and then the momentum picks up from there. So to do that, let's talk about what codependency actually looks like and what the opposite choice would be. The first one I want to talk about is the loss of your own identity. This is where, as that definition described, you have a preoccupation with other people. And so because of that, you're willing to actually change yourself. You don't have needs or you don't have opinions or you don't have interests or you modify them based on who you're hanging out with or what you want them to think about you. You become so fully absorbed by a relationship that you are willing to lose yourself in it. And the opposite side of this then is starting to explore who did God make me to be? Who does he say that I am? What are the abilities and the interests and the gifts that he's put inside of me? And maybe I'm using them, but maybe I'm using them for this other person's approval instead of the delight of my father that it is for us to do these things together. That if he has made you a kind and creative person when it comes to gift giving, that maybe he has an application for that that's not currently the way that you're using it. That would be so much more life-giving for you. And that would be so much more of, of what he even perhaps has as a purpose in your life that right now maybe is being sucked up by people who are just taking advantage of your generosity. Another one is struggling to say no. We often say yes to things that we don't want to say yes to because we're afraid of the perception that would come our way if we didn't capitulate. We are afraid of the rejection that could come if we don't make ourselves available all the time. So in this, the flip side then, if I'm operating out of wholeness in my relationship with the Lord, I'm going to ask the Lord, am I supposed to do this? <laughs> you know, when you think about people that you're spending time with or opportunities that you sign yourself up for, God is not asking you to do all the things for all the people all the time. You don't have the bandwidth for it. And if you're going to the wrong places, if you're saying yes to the wrong people, then you've actually cut yourself off potentially from the people he does want you to be investing in. We are finite beings and every choice we make comes with a time cost. And so we have to recognize that since our time is not our own, we actually then can ask the Lord, what, what does he say? And as we grow in relationship with him, that becomes much clearer. Another one is cutting yourself down, being hard on yourself, being critical with yourself. This is a huge problem because it's going to inform then how you make relationship choices. It's going to inform how you show up in a relationship. If I am constantly evaluating myself on the basis of my performance instead of my belovedness, then I'm going to continue to feel compelled to keep showing up in ways that cause me to feel then like I am correcting what is wrong or deficient about me. It's also the reason we have a cognitive dissonance, basically a mental disagreement with 
statements in scripture of what God says about us and yet what we assess about ourselves. So when I hear that I am God's masterpiece, if I'm constantly cutting myself down, I absolutely will not ever agree to that. I won't be able to believe it. So we have to stop cutting ourselves down in order to also then receive the truth. Whenever we feel that compulsion to analyze our performance, to say, oh my gosh, that was so dumb. I shouldn't have said that. They're going to think I'm an idiot. You know, all those kinds of things. That is where we have to cut off the thought and take it captive and say, what does the Lord say about me? The only way you're ever going to be able to change your thought about yourself is to interrupt you thinking about yourself in that way and replace it with the truth. Another one is giving with the expectation of receiving. When we give, it is supposed to be out of the overflow of the love that God has for us. But if we give out of a place of neediness and needing to receive something in return, needing approval, then we're going to become bitter and resentful when we don't get what we want. We're going to overinvest in people who are happy to take advantage of our kindness. And we're going to find ourselves then in situations where we have so deeply invested ourselves and now we don't know how to get out. So for a time, you may actually need to pull back on your generosity and say, am I doing this because I want someone to think of me in a certain way? Or am I doing this because the Lord has loved me so and I just want to shine that on this person? Another thing to keep an eye on is how much that you take responsibility for someone else's choices. Are you in a habit of absorbing their consequences, minimizing their consequences, making excuses for them, taking responsibility? All of these things cause another person then to want to latch on to us because we will make it easier for them. And so we have to recognize each person has their own responsibility. The Bible tells us that, that we all stand before God each of us individually being accountable for the things that we've done. And if we're absorbing the consequences for someone else and we're paying their penalty, then they are actually being denied the opportunity to learn how to change. That's what consequences are for. We see this a lot with parenting too. This is one where the consequences are there to help people decide, I don't want to do that again. <laughs> and so if out of your emotion, you're saying, well, I wouldn't want to feel that way, or I don't want them to feel this way, or I want, you know, whatever you want for them. You're circumventing the process if you are absorbing the damage. Or sometimes it's not even consequences. Sometimes it's just over caretaking. You know, it's doing things for other people that they can absolutely do for themselves. And again, this shows up a lot in parenting where we're doing things for a child who is absolutely capable at the age that they are, but we don't want them to have an opinion of us that would make us feel like we're not doing a good job or that it would cause us to have to sacrifice some closeness. And I've had to even walk through this myself of recognizing Yes, I want my kids to love me. I do. But primarily, my role in their life is to love them. And it is loving of me to prepare them for their future. It is loving of me to provide them the structure and the discipline that they need. That is what is loving of me. So as much as right now, then that probably means I'm not going to experience the love back that I would want from them in the long term. That is what is best for all of us. And there are so many more that I could go into. But what I want to wrap this up with is the last one being putting someone on a pedestal in your life or giving them a favored status in your life. This is so dangerous for us because number one, when we put God number one and we put his evaluation of us number one, then we're going to know how to rightly connect with people and see both their gifts and their flaws. 
And we need to have a right understanding of someone in order to relate to them properly. So if we've put a person so high up and their evaluation of us so high up that their approval means so much to us, then we end up discarding the evidence that shows us of who they really are, for better or for worse, and then replaced it with a fantasy version of who they are. And once we've created this fantasy version of someone, we're going to keep wanting to chase that ideal and what that means to us. And we're going to do everything in our power to avoid the rejection of not having that favored person's favored status. When we do this, again, whether it's a romantic partner, whether it's even maybe a parent, when we do this, though, we find ourselves chronically burdened with anxiety in these relationships because the stakes are so high for us now and we're so afraid of what we're going to lose. And so it's something then that we will keep feeding in order to hopefully one day reach that ideal. This is where the chasing and the longing and all that comes from. And of course, you're going to have anxiety and fear because this is dangerous for you. This puts you in a very one-sided, lopsided situation where you're very likely to get hurt. And as I'm pointing these patterns out to you and what you can do instead to start walking in a different way, I know how incredibly hard this is. I know. Because I know that the moment that you start to change the way you have related to people, that anxiety goes through the roof where you've been able to manage anxiety by performing and influencing relationships and fixing or rescuing whatever your particular tendencies might be that is a way that you have dealt with your own emotional angst and so now when you take those away that angst might go up even if you also know you're getting away from people who are unhealthy, for a time, it may feel extremely uncomfortable. Having to deal with other people's anger, having to deal with other people's rejection, their disappointment, that's one of the reasons we get into these patterns of codependency is because we want to avoid all that. And so we end up having to confront the thing that we're afraid of. But here is the deal. If you start to do things like establishing healthy boundaries and relating to people in a new way that you're not trying to get your worth from them, but you already know that you already carry it, you start to feel pretty powerful, you know? And if people are gonna be disappointed with you, then you recognize like, well, seems like you were probably gaining a lot then from being able to take advantage of me. Seems like you liked it when I was in a position where I was lesser than you and you don't like it now that I'm starting to have a sense of myself and have an ability to assert myself and to expect more from you and for myself. And that might feel a little foreign at first. All of this might feel a little foreign at first, but it is so beautiful because it is the place where you start to walk in the life that God wants for you, that he has people, healthy people, healthy relationships for you and purposes for you that while we're stuck under codependency are getting sucked up they're, they're, all this energy is going to the wrong people and the wrong places at the wrong time. And yet then when we start to get a real sense of who he created us to be and who we're supposed to be with, and we have the ability to walk away from the things that are not for us, then you start to experience a level of freedom and flourishing that maybe you never thought was possible. Maybe you never thought that you could never worry about someone else's opinion of you ever again, that you could just know that you were beloved just as you are, and that you could walk in and out of relationships carrying that sense of worth with you, and it could never be taken from you. 
Friends, you know we are going to be talking more about this. This is absolutely a tip of the iceberg type of conversation. But I really pray that as you consider with the Lord where you have been and where you are now, that something from this conversation will just stick out to you as that next right step and give you the ability to step into the future that He has for you. Shalom. Thanks for being with me for this episode today. I hope you'll come back again. And in the meantime, you can follow me over on social media and find out about our resources and services over at uncommonvalor.co.